The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Doctor's Lounge. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber, and I'm on America's Web Radio. Glad everybody could show up today. I know I've been out for a little bit. I was at my daughter's horse show in Oklahoma City. She was at the World Championships, and I was watching her ride, and uh, she had a rough go of it. And so we did some uh, life lessons about hard work and perseverance and understanding that when you're in the competition against the world's best, that it's going to be difficult, and that's how it's supposed to be. And uh, hopefully next year we'll have a better better run of it, but it was great to be able to spend some time with her and watch her compete. And it's also was amazing to see a lot of these fantastic young riders learning life skills and how to be good citizens in this world. They're going to take the skills that they learn participating in this competition about hard work, perseverance, honesty, integrity, accountability, learning to be a good winner, learning to be a good loser, and not quitting. And all of these things will allow them to be successful in the endeavors of their choice and to make for an amazing country and an amazing world. My job at my stage of life, I think, is to try and share some information about how to interpret the world around us. And the reason that I find that it's important is I see with the things that have been happening in medicine, particularly COVID, the way that that the media is constantly lying to us about things, the leaders that have been designated as so-called experts or the people who know better, we're not only conditioned to not think for ourselves, but to follow these people, despite the fact that they get caught being wrong and overtly lying to us over and over again, that it makes it really difficult to understand the world that we're living in and to make our decisions. And one of the examples I always use is when I was young and CNN was sort of the big news thing, you know, I remember when I was in uh, graduate school during the first Iraq war, you know, everybody would go to CNN and, and it was just what was on and it's what you listened to. It was, you know, used to have James Earl Jones doing that commercial with his deep voice going, this is CNN. And I never really thought much about it. I mean, it was just the news. I looked at it and they told me what was going on and I just sort of, uh, accepted it. I was going on about my life. I had, uh, things that I was interested in. I was trying to get into medical school at the time. I was trying to learn. Uh, I was going to the gym a lot and lifting weights and playing rugby and worrying if I was going to be a, starting at the next game and, you know, what my career in rugby should be and all kinds of things that were super important to me at the time. And then somewhere over the years, I just stopped watching CNN. And it was because I realized that they weren't telling me the truth on a lot of things. And after a while, it was got to the point where why would I listen to them? And I don't understand why people do that now. You can show demonstrable lies and mis misinformation, to use a term I hate so much. Uh, but the fact of the matter is they're giving you information is just patently not true. And yet people still go back to these organizations to gather information about the world around them. And it makes me wonder, why are people having such a hard time understanding 
the world around them and why do they make such terrible decisions and from time to time now i will see people either outside or in their car alone wearing a mask and i'm thinking to myself what are they watching what are they reading what sorts of information are getting into their minds that compel them to do something that is just utterly ridiculous i was talking to my daughter about this the other day and i was saying you know, I don't generally know how everything works, but I have a general idea of things. So, for example, a parachute. I'm not a physicist on that level. I don't exactly know how a parachute works, but I got the kind of the general idea that, you know, you jump out of a plane, you have this big thing that sort of catches the air and the force of the air going up is slowing you when you go down. And so you don't hit the ground as hard. And so you don't die. You know, when I talk about how a scuba tank works. I'm not exactly sure. They put compressed air in there, and I'm not sure what the exact ma- makeup of it is. I think it's probably just the same breathing air we use. And you go under the water, and you breathe the air into your lungs, and it helps you breathe underwater. Like, I get the concept. It's so that I can get air underwater. When I ask people about the mask and how it works, what is it doing? And people can't give me the the first idea, the first clue. Like, is the mask trapping the virus? You know what I mean? Do you breathe it into the mask and the virus gets trapped in there? Is that how it's happening? Well, of course, we know that's not what it is. Your people listening to my show are not the kind of people I'm talking about. Uh, is the mask uh, filtering out certain particles so that the big particles don't get out and the smaller particles do? Well, we know that's not the case either. The virus is the smaller of the particles, and it was clearly going through the mask and, you know, we would use the analogy of using a chain link fence to hold in a mosquito, right? Uh, was it the idea that somehow your spit or whatever didn't go six feet, it only went three feet? Well, I went to medical school and I studied all this stuff and I'm not aware of spitting in your face as the means of respiratory illness transmission. And so I watched during this COVID pandemic as masks were being promoted and uh, you know, we heard all of our designated leaders and experts telling us that the masks were effective. And, of course, all the media outlets were promoting this, and it went around the horn. And it's all of them. I mean, absolutely all of them uh, promoting this stuff. And I'm at, and the whole time I was asking myself, how is this happening? Because in medical school, we studied masks in depth, at length, uh, very um, in-depth understanding of decades of information and the general conclusion is that masks don't work to prevent the transmission of respiratory illnesses. Now, during that time, I would have people screaming at me that were disagreeing with me. What are you talking about? You wear a mask in the operating room. And I would think to myself, who thinks that we wear masks in the operating room to prevent viral transmission? That's not what's happening. The First of all, the reason that we do wear masks in the operating room is because it's tradition. <laughs> there are studies out there that show us that there is no uh, difference in infection rates if you wear a mask or don't wear a mask. And the reason that we generally wear a mask is because we don't want stuff from the patient that we're operating on to splatter up in our mouth and on our face, but not necessarily. And, you know, generally I don't want to be spitting in the wound, but the idea that we were wearing a mask in the operating room could be correlated somehow to the transmission of respiratory illnesses was ridiculous. And yet that's, this was parroted all over the place. And so I started to get, get in my head that uh, things that were obvious to me and, and a lot of my colleagues, but things that were obvious to me uh, were not necessarily obvious to other people. For example, 
the Scott Barber that was in graduate school during the first Gulf War probably wouldn't have paid much attention uh, to these masks. And I wouldn't have thought much about it because it just wasn't important to me at the time. But I want to start to help people understand and interpret the world around them so that you can make informed decisions about your life and your family's life uh, so that you can protect yourselves and so that you can make good decisions going forward. And it seems to me that medicine in general is becoming a tool used by people to push propaganda. And we see fundamental aspects of our free society being infringed upon to help propagate these narratives and prevent uh, dissenting opinion from being out there. And it's a scary time. And you all need to learn how to interpret the world around you, how to process information. And me too. I'm not here saying that I'm infallible. Uh, I made mistakes too. And I there were people that I've trusted in the past to give me information that I later found out uh, were not reliable, and so I no longer use them as sources um, of information. And I want to kind of connect some dots for you guys today to help you see what is happening in this world. Now, on this show, we talk about all the time about what are the tools that they're using to get you to stop thinking for yourself and to accept the declarations of these designated experts. Well, we do these appeals to authority, right? We saw Katanji Brown Jackson when she was being confirmed, uh, being asked what a woman is. And of course, she doesn't want to answer the question. So she says, well, I'm not a biologist, so I can't state what a woman is. This is absurd. I mean, it's absolutely absurd. And it seems that people are becoming more and more immune to how absurd these things are. And they sort of go along with it and accept it as basically normal. Uh, we see the advent of fact checkers. This is the biggest joke of my life. Anytime you see a fact checker being deployed on something, you know that they're there for the sole purpose of getting you off the truth. Their purpose is to prevent you from seeing the truth. The classic one we talk about is when I was preparing to go with America's Frontline Doctors to D.C. to share uh, basic information about what was happening in the pandemic with people because uh, the media and and everybody around me, the agencies, the three-letter agencies were all lying to you. I wanted to review some information I was going to uh, provide, which was the CDC stating that there were something like 60,000 deaths uh, resulting from COVID. And so that that declaration of the, that number of deaths led to the initiation of the lockdowns in March of 2020, I believe it was. And then the, after the weekend came and went and we already implemented the lockdowns, it's like, oh, no, no, it's not – wasn't 60,000. It was more like 30,000. And I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a second. That is a huge difference, 60,000 to 30,000, and maybe 30,000 doesn't justify these lockdowns. And so I wanted to go back and get that information when I was going up to D.C. with America's Frontline Doctors. And as I was Googling it, of course, we all know now that Google is a big joke. They are in on the scam and their goal is to mislead you and to provide you with propaganda. This is just a, a statement of fact at, at this point. The um, the uh, When I was looking up this information about the CDC's alteration of the statistics, I was greeted by something like five fact checkers before I could even get to the first article. And I thought, and it said fact check false. 
that the CDC did not uh, modify their numbers from 60,000. And I'm not 100% sure about the numbers. I remember it being something like 60,000 and revised down to 30,000. And I thought to myself, this is ridiculous. I lived this. I documented it. I put the information down. What are you talking about? And so I read one of these fact checks. And it was this long article that was written and using very uh, scientific and big terms that were hard to understand. Even as a medical professional reading statistics, I was kind of like, what are you talking about? And then you get all the way down to the bottom and it says, so the 60,000 was revised to 30,000, but it was for a just cause because the CDC, you know, went and reviewed their numbers and this is a standard practice that they do. And so when they did that, they, they correctly revised their numbers. And I'm sitting there reading this going, so it's fact check true. It did happen. Not fact check false. It didn't happen. It's fact check true. It did happen. And they're arguing that it was justified. And therefore, for me to go looking up and seeing that they modified their numbers was somehow false. Now, the the reasoning there, the, the thing that dawned on me was I know that 99.99% of people would never have read that article to get down to the bottom to find out that it was fact check true, even though at the top it said fact check false. And that was kind of the first big moment where, where I realized that these fact checkers were just there to prevent me from seeing the truthful information. I remember driving my kids to school a few years ago when they started using fact checkers and it was just curious to me that it's, you know, at my age, the concept of a fact checker is so anathema to human existence. I just can't understand how anybody would accept it. And I wanted to know if my kids were being brainwashed into somehow thinking that a fact check was normal. And so we started having a conversation about what is truth and who who gets to decide what is true. And and my kids, thankfully, understood that there is no entity out there. There's no expert or group of experts that have the uh, corner on what's true and what's not true. The government certainly doesn't get to decide what is true and what isn't true. And that's why free speech is so important. And that's why the founders of this great country, the greatest society that has ever existed, put the right to free speech uh, as number one. Now, <clears throat> they also will use the term misinformation as a justification to cancel free speech. I've talked about it many times. Uh, let's just talk about the America's frontline doctors that went to Washington, D.C. I can't remember what it was, June or July or August or something like that in 2020. And what the reason, the reason that America's frontline doctors got together was there were doctors out there who realized that the information that the media was providing was simply false. They were trying to say that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin were not only ineffective but dangerous. We know that's not true. Uh, we, we've exposed the fact that both the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet published fake studies citing that uh, hydroxychloroquine was dangerous. And those studies had to be retracted two weeks after their uh, publication because they were caught faking the data, and which to me is just the story of the century and it doesn't get any coverage in the media and that's you know what the media does it's not only lies of commission but it's lies of omission that was huge this study these studies in the new england journal of medicine and the lancet on hydroxychloroquine were used as a predicate for the government and the fda to to um sort of ban the use of hydroxychloroquine. And the reason they wanted to do that is they were just at the beginning of their mass vaccination scheme 
and hydroxychloroquine would have been available to people without going to the hospital. They would have taken it. Uh, many people would not have gotten sick, and so it would have sort of undermined their whole scam. And and so that's the reason for this publication in the New England Journal of Medicine and Lancet. And then they put this ban on hydroxychloroquine, and then they retracted the stories because they made up these studies. I mean, these studies were not small studies. They were uh, – huge studies that involved multiple continents and, you know, hundreds of hospitals. And for a person like me, I, I read it and I remember thinking to myself, how is this happening? I mean, this is the New England Journal of Medicine and Lancet. Like, I know this information is false. I had been reading at this point for months and months on hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin for that matter. And there's decades of research showing that the medicines are not only two of the safest medicines ever, but they are highly effective and the mechanisms of action make sense. We can litigate that on another day. But the point is, while I was watching the media tell me that there's no proof we need more randomized controlled studies on this stuff, I'm sitting there going, there's tons of research saying that both these medicines are in fact are effective. And then all of a sudden, out of left field, the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet come out with these studies saying that they're false. And I knew at the time, like, this is false. But how is this happening? These are the number one and two medical journals on the face of the earth. And that's when it hit me. They're all in on it. Now, that's what I tell you. When I was a kid, my father used to warn me, you don't believe something just because it's in a book. okay? but that wisdom is uh, just as true today as it was then. It does not matter what somebody's position is. It doesn't matter what their education is, what sort of underlying authority they supposedly have. No human being gets carte blanche to be accepted as providing truth and facts without me always having the ability to check for myself and to understand for myself. And I was listening to Dinesh D'Souza's podcast a while ago, and this has been something that's frustrated me for a very long time, that... People just sort of accept studies and tests as a matter of fact when studies and tests are very fallible and oftentimes flawed and sometimes faked, like in the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet, which is why you shouldn't just accept them at face value. And when I was in residency, when I was in medical school, we used to have journal clubs and we would read articles that were relevant to the rotation that we were on and we would go and and sometimes we'd have dinner. Sometimes we'd just go to somebody's house, sit around a coffee table, and we each read articles, and we broke them down the way we were trained as scientists to look for flaws in the studies, weaknesses in the studies, biases in the studies. And the common conclusion that was made on almost all studies is that they were generally not that great. You know, they had holes in them. They were not, you know... You know, wow, I just read this study and therefore this is, these are the facts for all time. They all have problems. And it's not necessarily that people are trying to lie to you. It's just really hard to create a study that is blinded, placebo controlled, crossover, randomized, where the, the study, uh, participants have, uh, only one, uh, one factor that is, uh, being studied. You know, there are lots of confounding factors. I was, just sitting for my oral board recertification exam and we were talking about platelet-rich plasma injections and they were talking you know they were asking me about studies supporting them and and i was <clears throat> making the point that how do you perform a study that unequivocally shows something like prp is effective 
for example, if I see a thousand people, and let's just say knees, I see a thousand knees and I give a platelet rich plasma injection in the knee, none of those thousand knees are exactly the same. They all have differences in sex and age and comorbid medical conditions. Now, we can make an effort to try and reduce those variables as much as possible, but it's absolutely impossible to get a cohort of knees. They're exactly identical, and the only difference is that one gets PRP and one doesn't get PRP. And by the way, the person who's giving it is blinded to the fact that they're giving the PRP. I hope I'm making sense here, but the point I'm trying to make is – this idea that we get one study, you know, this is what seems to be in in the news all the time is we need a randomized controlled study and that there's going to be this one study that's going to tell us the right answer and then we never need to look at this again. And this is just ridiculous. And the reason that they're promoting this narrative is that the elites that are trying to control the way people think don't want you thinking for yourself and they want to cede this authority to selected experts that will parrot the the narrative for the 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 elites and the regime that's trying to maintain power and control. So Dinesh D'Souza was pointing out the fact that it wasn't that long ago that we would go to the doctor and the doctor would give us information about medicine or procedure or something and they would just say studies show that it works and we would accept that. And he was pointing out that now People are less inclined to do that, which is a good thing. That's what I'm here doing on my show. I want to encourage you all to not accept information from experts without doing your own research. And you'll see that they're trying to criminalize doing your own research. I mean, these are the things that I want you to look for when you're watching TV shows and news, right? You're watching any show. There's always a narrative there. Uh, you know, Hollywood is just absolutely committed to try and influence the way we think about things as we watch TV. They're constantly trying to subliminally put information in your head about uh, gender, about class, about rich and poor, about uh, corruptness in, in entities like police and things like that. I've been watching SWAT. I love the show SWAT uh, with Shamar Moore. It's, it's exciting. It's, it's, it's kind of lighthearted, but there's so much left-wing propaganda and it. it gets hard to watch. And, We've gotten up to, I don't know, maybe on season four or something like that, and it's at COVID, and they're doing with the masks, and I just can't do it. So I stopped watching it because I was able to ignore all their left-wing propaganda up until that point, and the masks is just too much for me because it was just such – it was so emblematic of just how corrupt and and unfair they were. But um, as we were talking about, this appeals to authority, fact-checkers – Labeling things misinformation, flat out cancellation, right? If they don't like the person who's spreading the news, they simply cancel, right? We had America's frontline doctors. We were up in Washington, D.C. trying to share information. By the way, not our information. What we were sharing was information that was available to anyone in peer-reviewed literature that was out there for anybody to see. All we were doing was pointing it out. Things like, hey, look at all these studies that show that hydroxychloroquine works. You know, and look at all this stuff about masks not working and look at all this stuff. You know, all things that they now accept, that they now admit. But there are a lot of people out there who just refuse to accept the truth because I don't know. They're married to, to this propaganda. I don't understand it, really. I'm still trying to understand the human condition. But we were up there. We had 18 million live Facebook followers 
that were interested in the information that we were providing, which was all truthful stuff. We weren't sharing anything that was controversial other than the powers that be at the time didn't want you hearing what we had to say. And they shut us down. Google just shut us down. Facebook shut us down. They canceled us. And they basically cited uh, these fake studies in the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet as justification for, uh, you know, shutting us down and blocking our free speech. And that's going to be kind of the underlying theme of the show today is that free speech is so important. And it's not the easy speech. It's the hard speech. And they try to use things like you're promoting violence, you're promoting hate and, you know, all these different things to try and and ban and censor free speech. And the reality is it shouldn't be. And then they try to muddy the waters by saying things like uh, like it's the right that wants to censor speech because we don't want pornography in schools. Right. I don't want my grade school children to be reading pornography. And like that's in there. Right. And so, you know, starting in Florida, Ron DeSantis has gotten rid of that stuff or, or made some efforts to get that way. And they're calling him a hater and a brook burner and all this kind of stuff. And it's just really frustrating. It's the inability of people to process the information in the world around them. We know that they memory hole information, too. Right. They cite these experts and whenever information comes up that they don't like, they just get rid of it and they make sure that you never see it again. Um, we know that, that, um, Gretchen Whitmer was presented with the fact that, uh, that the data show that states like Florida did better than, than her state of Michigan in terms of COVID infections and things like that, and that states like Florida did not initiate mask mandates and she didn't do lock, they didn't do lockdowns when Michigan did. And when she was presented with that information and asked to explain herself, she just like, ah, I don't accept that data. And it's just funny how if you're on the right side of the issue, you get to just pick and choose the information that you want to listen to. But the rest of us, when we actually cite real data, we get shut down. And of course, we all know that the AJC got after me and Hal for sharing what turned out to be completely factual information by putting us on the front page of the AJC on the day that the Braves won the World Series. So there was two things that you all needed to know about. Hey, the Braves won the World Series and Hal and Scott are sharing actual truth about COVID in a time when people didn't want you to know about it. Uh, they talk about things like best practices, right? So what they want to do is they want to designate people in authority that are approved by their way of thinking, and then they want to initiate these things called best practices, and they say, if you don't do it this way, then you're wrong, and we have a reason for shutting down. They use terms like evidence-based medicine, right? They try to, for example, like with the uh, platelet-rich plasma, I just explained to you how it's very difficult to get a study that confirms something, and so... The reason that they call medicine the art of medicine is because it's an art. And the reason that the Hippocratic Oath is do no harm is that artists, doctors like myself, are supposed to take information and experience and we're trying to we combine it to treat people. And sometimes we have to use uh, our experience and intuition and our understanding of the gr- overall body of science to initiate treatment and our perspective has to always be from the perspective of do no harm. And I remember when I first got into medical school and I was excited to finally take the Hippocratic Oath and they said, what is it? It's do no harm. And I thought, that's the silliest 
motto I've ever heard in my life, do no harm. That's kind of, uh, it's not sexy. It's not, not cool. But after practicing now for 30 years, it is the greatest motto of all time because that's how you have to approach everything you do in medicine. First, I don't want to cause trouble. I don't want to do any harm. And then what potential benefit could I do? And so what they've done, and when I say they, I mean these these power brokers in medicine that are trying to create this top-down, one-size-fits-all socialized medicine construct, which, by the way, is in effect. I mean, we are there, and that's why I do this podcast, is we need to move in the other direction. They'll try and use this term of evidence-based. Oh, we don't, you know, what you're doing isn't evidence-based, so we can ban you from doing it. Um, the, <clears throat> the, um, when I start thinking about medicine, I'm, I'm very worried about the direction we're going because the medical schools have gone completely left wing. If you think that your kids are getting indoctrinated in undergrad, you ought to see what's going on in medical school. And I've played for you the video of, I think it was the University of, I can't remember what it was, like Michigan, Wisconsin or something like that. There was a speaker in the auditorium addressing the medical students from a perspective of pro-life. And all the students got up and walked out on this person. And I'm thinking to myself, what a poor – these people are supposed to be educated, right? They're supposed to be our future teachers. That's what doctor is, teacher. They're supposed to be taking in information. And when they hear words that they can't stand, they just leave. It's just – it's pathetic. It's just – and listen, you can say what you want about pro-life, pro-choice. This is one of the things I think that's really emblematic of the problem in this country – and I'm just going to say it in my own mind. When I think about abortion, right? Abortion just got, and it's, I almost said it, abortion just got overturned. That is not what happened. <laughs> the Supreme Court just said that you don't have a right to abortion at the federal level and that it is up to the states to decide what the law is. So there was no overturning of the right to abortion. And I get the concept, right? Young people that have sex and have children before they're ready, it creates a problem in your life and it will definitely change your life. But murdering people is also wrong. And so the discussion becomes, and it's a fair debate, when is that uh, fertilized egg a life? And, you know, some people say life begins at conception. And I'm, I'm of the opinion that that is what science says. Life begins at conception. That is a fact. It's an immutable fact. But the separate question is, do is that life somehow different when it's a clump of cells, as they like to say, to the point where killing it or ending it is justifiable because we don't want to alter the life of the people who created it. And I was more in the camp when I was younger that there should be a... a, a a right, I don't even know my terminology anymore because it's all euphemisms, but pro-choice. You know, I used to be more pro-choice. Now, at some point, you don't murder the baby. So as uh, the former governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, was uh, stated that uh, with the laws that he wants to support that the Ba- and he's on tape saying this, that the, the, the baby will be born and it will be put aside and uh, it will be kept comfortable and a, and a decision will be made. And it's like a decision will be made about what? Like it's a born baby. You're talking about murdering it. And of course, what did they do? They memory hold it, right? Cause they don't want you thinking about this stuff because 
The people that are so adamantly pro-choice, they don't want to have the conversation about when is it inappropriate. Now, I'm just telling you, a baby that's born and murdering it, that's wrong. Okay? Now, the people out there that censor me and all that kind of stuff, am I going to go to prison over this? Are you guys going to file a lawsuit against me for saying I don't want to murder babies? I'm sorry. I don't want to do that. Okay, the day before it's born, is that okay? I still say no. How about the day before that? Or the day before that. My point is, at what point is it okay? And we never get to have this conversation because people go into their own camps and the gaslighting begins and it's about destroying women's rights and they always go to this, um, the life of the mother and this kind of stuff, which is such a rare instance or the case of incest or rape, which again is the rare situation. We should talk about it, but we never do get to talk about it because the powers that be uh, want to, you know, implement all of these techniques to control the way that we think about things. And maybe someday we will be able to have this conversation about when it's appropriate. Now, the other thing that has been going on with with medicine is not only this sort of left wing indoctrination, but the way they're changing the way we learn. Now, I mentor a lot of medical students or students that are trying to go to medical school, and I've had medical students that were, or, you know, students that were with me that got into medical school, I keep in touch with them and they share with me their experiences and they're getting so much less information about the science of medicine and they're getting more information about how to do coding and how to implement this, this one size fits all socialized medicine construct. And they're losing the ability to think critically. They're losing their ability to connect with patients and to develop that doctor patient relationship. And I, I have a bunch of uh, patients right now. I take care of a lot of professional MMA fighters, and they commonly will tear this ligament in their wrist called the scaphalunate ligament. And reconstructing that ligament can be difficult, and it's necessary in certain circumstances to prevent progressive degeneration of the wrist and arthritis. But it's a real problem in these MMA fighters because they're going to go back to fighting and punching and things. And so if you fix the ligament, they're not only going to be out of action for a very long time, they have a very high likelihood of destroying the reconstruction uh, as soon as they get back to fighting. And so it's a problem as to how you treat it. And so we've been trying to treat them non-operatively and sort of just accepting like, okay, you're going to be at risk for developing arthritis with your wrist, but we have some options when your MMA career is over that we can do to try and help with the problem. Uh, but what is happening with some of these patients is they're just not recovering to the point where they can use their hand. And the big thing I'm seeing is what they call posting, where they go to push up on their hand to get up. They can't do it. So what do I do? I don't want to do the reconstruction. They'll be out for a year. Uh, they have a very high risk of destroying it. And so I called my friend Pat, who is uh, one of the top hand surgeons in the world. He and I trained together, and he's an amazing guy, and he understands about the way we train and how we prepare doctors to work in this world. And so he and I were discussing the problem. I wanted his advice. You know, this is the practice of medicine, right? I want to do no harm, but I got a problem to solve. And so we talked about the concept of resecting these nerves to decrease the sensation to the wrist. So they have these two nerves that go to the wrist. One is called the anterior interosseous nerve and one is called the posterior interosseous nerve. 
And these nerves have at the down by the wrist, they have no other function than to provide sensation of the wrist. So if we can remove that sensation, then people won't be feeling the pain and it will allow them to participate in the activity. And so we were discussing that. And then we also started, uh, he, he works, uh, at the University of Miami where I trained and we started talking about how it is with the residents and their training. And he talked about the fact that, uh, two major issues. The first is when, when I was going through my training, we were on call about every third to fifth night, depending on what year you were. I had a five year residency and it was more often when you were younger. And as you got older, you had less in-house call and you also, uh, we operated a lot on our own. So when I was a second year resident, I was nailing tibias and femurs and doing other things by myself in the middle of the night. And there's an ethical question there to talk about in terms of, you know, when is it okay to allow somebody to operate by themselves? How much supervision do they need? And I felt that the training that I had was not, not only made me the surgeon that I am today and, and Miami was particularly, um, uh, heavy in allowing people to operate. It's the busiest trauma center in the, in the world. At least it was when I was there. It's a very busy trauma center. And so the opportunity to do difficult cases by yourself was there for a very long time. And I thought that that was amazing for my training. It gave me the opportunity to struggle. I remember in the middle of the night just struggling to do cases. We used to have textbooks that would be under the plastic. You know, we'd cover it with sterile plastic. We could turn the pages sterilely and sort of help guide our procedures. And, of course, we always had supervision where if you got into trouble, you could call somebody who was older or call the attending. But it was invaluable experience because there was there's just no other way to learn how to do something other than to do it and if you have somebody who's looking over your shoulder and taking it away from you all the time you don't ever get the skill in your hands and so while you might have the the intellectual knowledge to be a surgeon you don't have the ability to make your own decisions and and to do the work with your hands and this, I think, is gone completely in the other direction. So he was telling me that the residents now don't have the opportunity to operate by themselves very often. And and they also are not allowed to take call at night because uh, bureaucrats decided that mistakes were made because residents were tired. And I can go into the story of how this happened. It's something to do with uh, a New York politician whose daughter, I think, uh, uh, had a complication and w- was either seriously injured or killed, and they uh, went on a crusade to change. They they basically laid the blame at a tired resident's feet, and so what they did was they changed the way that we do the call schedule so that if you're on call at night, you go home the next day. And so they're decreasing the amount of experience that a doctor has, and I'm just telling you that as an orthopedic surgeon, five years of residency was not enough. You know, it was good training for me, but it was not enough. And I got better over time. And I w- I'm here to tell you, people, doctors and surgeons and things, we don't make mistakes because we're tired. Being tired is normal, right? You're living in the real world. You're going to be tired. The reason that we make mistakes is because we don't have experience. Experience is so critical when you're practicing medicine to know you know, what's what, you know, they say things like when you're doing a joint replacement, put it in so that it's tight. Okay. Well, what does tight mean? You know what I mean? You're doing it. You need to have your hands on experience in order to, to gain the, the ability to do these things. And we're moving in the wrong direction. Um, 
the concept we've just been talking about of, uh, um, you know, not, not getting enough experience on call. You know, re- residency is supposed to be tough, right? And it seems like we're doing that across the board in everything, whether it's the military or medicine or whatever. We're trying to decrease the standards so that we can allow more people to be able to participate rather than encouraging more people to meet the standards that we had. And as a result, we just get worse everything. We get worse soldiers, worse doctors, worse teachers, and we need to really be moving back in the other direction. The uh, When I was going through, uh, like I said, my call was maybe once every third night to fifth night, and, and it got less as you got older. And the generation before me, they were on call every other night. And the big joke used to always be, you know what the problem with taking call every other night is? And you'd say, what? And the answer would be, you miss half the cases. You know, and it was kind of a joke, like you should be up all night, every night. But the point is true. Getting that experience is enormous for for um, putting out uh, good doctors that are competent. And we're getting less and less quality doctors because they have less experience and because they're not using their critical thinking skills because these medical schools have gotten completely left wing. And when people like me call a medical school and I say, I'd like to share my experience with, with a medical school, they'll, they won't allow it. They do not want um, any right wing information or conservative uh, information coming into their heads and it's destroying the healthcare system. Now, um, when we were, we were talking about this free speech, um, you probably don't know about uh, a person named Douglas Mackey uh, during the election. He did a meme uh, on Twitter, and this meme uh, has a picture of a woman. She's African-American. It says African-Americans uh, for Hillary for president. And then on the meme, it says avoid the line, vote at home, and it says text Hillary to 59925. Okay, so it's a big joke saying, like, you can vote by text, okay? This guy was just convicted. Now, I don't know the details of it, and I don't want to get into the details of it, but it just seems to me that this is basic free speech. It's obviously a joke. The guy's wearing a Trump hat in his uh, in his uh, profile picture on the meme. Now, there's another comedian named Christina Wong, and she also did a meme the other way, she was making a joke about a text for Trump. And I want you to listen to her meme. Hers is got an audio with it. Hey, everybody. This is Christina Wong. And uh, I'm coming out. I'm a Trump supporter. And I just want to remind all my fellow Chinese Americans for Trump, people of color for Trump, to vote. Vote for Trump on Wednesday, November 9th. Really important day. We're going to show this country who's boss. And that's our man, Donald Trump. So don't forget to vote Donald Trump on November 9th. So she's trying to encourage you to to text uh, your vote in. So it's just the comparison is being made that uh, Douglas Mackey just got sentenced, convicted. And I mean, he's facing like real time, like 10 years in prison. So he's been, to my understanding, he's been convicted. He hasn't been sentenced yet. And Christina Wong, not prosecuted at all. Now, Christina Wong's wearing a Trump hat. It looks like she could be a Trump supporter, uh, whereas uh, this Douglas Mackey guy is wearing a Trump hat in his uh, profile picture. So I've heard people argue that, you know, he's, uh, you know, she was making a joke and so she should be excused. He wasn't making a joke. So that's why he's getting convicted. You guys can look into this on your own, but to my cursory uh, review of this, it really looks like another 
um, attack on free speech. And it's this free speech that's getting us in trouble because we're not able to see the truth about things that are going on in the world around us. And this is so important. And let's just go to Marty Macari. Marty Macari, of course, is a um, big time surgeon. Uh, and he was sitting before a uh, congressional hearing. And this is... This is what he had to say. The greatest perpetrator of misinformation during the pandemic has been the United States government. Misinformation that COVID was spread through surface transmission, that vaccinated immunity was far greater than natural immunity, that masks were effective. Now we have the definitive Cochrane review. What do you do with that review? Cochrane is the most authoritative evidence body in all of medicine and has been for decades. Do you just ignore it, not talk about it? That myocarditis was more common after the infection than the vaccine. Not true. It's four to 28 times more common after the the vaccine. That young people benefit from a booster. Misinformation. Our two top experts on vaccines quit the FDA in protest over this particular issue, pushing boosters in young, healthy people. The data was never there. That's why the CDC never disclosed hospitalization rates among boosted Americans under age 50. The vaccine mandates would increase vaccination rates. The George uh, Mason University study shows it didn't. It did one thing. It created never vaxxers who are now not getting the childhood vaccines they need to get. Over and over again, we've seen something that goes far beyond using your best judgment with the information at hand. We've seen something which is unforgivable, and that is the weaponization of medical research itself. The CDC putting out their own shoddy studies, like their own study on natural immunity, looking at one state for two months, when they had data for years on all 50 states. Why did they only report that one sliver of data? Why did they salami slice the giant database? Because it gave them the result they wanted. Same with masking study. Well, the data has now caught up in giant systematic reviews and the public health officials were intellectually dishonest. They lied to the American people. Thank you. So, you know, it's just so important there. This is the point I'm trying to make. So, our institutions are not trustworthy. They didn't make mistakes here. You, you understand what's happening? They, they were they were knowingly giving us the wrong information. And I, I, the term I like to use is a lie. You know, now you can argue about why they were, but they were knowingly giving us false information. That's the CDC. I just told you the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet, the top two medical journals, were uh, you know busted promoting fake information. Now. They, they like to use this term peer review, right? Like peer review somehow means something. Well, the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet are supposed to be the most peer reviewed. And yet absolutely fake studies at an absolutely critical time in medicine were allowed to get through. So why am I supposed to trust the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet going forward implicitly, right? I mean, it just is common sense. If you lie to me once, I'm going to be suspect about the next thing you tell me. I'm not just going to blindly follow you, right? The Cochrane Review on masks, okay? The the left would have you believe that they thought masks worked, but then we went through COVID and now they admit like, okay, it turns out the mask didn't work. That is not what happened. There was nothing about the COVID vaccine or the COVID uh, virus 
that was new in terms of its size and its shape and and its uh, its susceptibility to masking that we learned. We didn't learn anything. What was allowed to happen was the truth was finally allowed to come through because they couldn't hold it back anymore. I've showed you on this show how the CDC manipulated information to show you studies that suggested that masks work when they didn't. They faked the studies. I am, listen, I need you people to understand that we live in a world where the information that's being presented to you is not fair and honest and open, okay? Even Twitter. I am clearly blocked on my Twitter. I cannot, I have not gotten a single follower in, in months and months and months. And it's clear anytime I open my mouth, I lose a bunch of followers. And it's just clear that I'm not able to present my information. Now, I don't care about myself. I'm not a big social media guy like that. My point is who else is being blocked out there? I'm not allowed to see information so that I can make my own decisions. And you have to understand that the way that information is presented to you is how you make your decisions. And if you're not able to interpret that information properly, you're not going to arrive at the correct decisions. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Um, the Charlottesville hoax. This one is big for me. So they would say that Trump was a racist because he said there were very fine, he called uh, neo-Nazis and white supremacists very fine people. And I thought to myself, man, that's that's a pretty tough thing, like calling somebody a white supremacist. Like, did Trump really do that? So I just pulled up on my phone the actual speech. And you see him go, uh, there are very fine people on both sides. And to remind you guys, the issue was tearing down the statues, right? We went through that period where they were tearing down Thomas Jefferson and George Washington saying they were slaveholders. And there were people like me that were like, no, you don't tear down statues using mobs. We have a process where we meet as civil uh, citizens and we make decisions about what monuments we want to keep up or take down. And that's what Trump was saying. He specifically said that there are very fine people on both sides of the issue of the statues. There were people that were tearing them down that were, you know, had generally honest, honorable feelings about it, that they felt like maybe if there was a slave person that it should be torn down. And there were people like me like, no, don't tear it down. We should have a debate about this. And he said right after that, he goes, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis or the white supremacists. They should be contemned totally. Joe Biden right now will still refer to the Charlottesville hoax and what media outlet, including Fox, which, you know, they're right. They've always been a problem. They just concealed it better. But they never do anything to explain how that was just a fake narrative. And that went on for a very long time. And there's probably many of you still listening to the show who think Trump said that and he didn't. Uh, another one that was classic, there was a meeting between the Japanese prime minister and Trump, and they were out there, and the media would show you they were out at a pond, and they were feeding the fish with fish food. And they show the uh, premier of Japan sort of taking a little bit of the fish food and gently sprinkling it into the pond. And then they show Trump just taking the whole box of fish food and just dumped it in there like the big brutish a loser that he is, right? And I thought, man, that's gross. And then you go and you watch the whole video and what you see is they both did the fingers and the lightly putting it in there. And then at the end, they both dumped their, you know, the whole rest of the fish food into the water. But the way the media spliced up the, the report was they showed the Japanese 
premier or prime minister, you know, doing it eloquently and then Trump being a brutish, uh, you know, buffoon. And they're trying to create a narrative in you. I was driving with my daughter, my other daughter at the horse show. We were talking about my youngest daughter who was competing. And she was telling me that in her world history book that it said that the Ku Klux Klan was started by white Christian conservative nationalists. And man, I almost pulled the car over. That is so enraging to me. People, you have to understand this. The Ku Klux Klan was started by the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party that sole purpose was to preserve slavery. The Republican Party that was founded to abolish slavery uh, has been doing so. The Ku Klux Klan was a paramilitary arm of the Democrat Party trying to intimidate recently freed blacks, right? You can get into that. In 1871, the NRA was founded to arm recently freed black citizens to protect them against the Ku Klux Klan. Now, we can talk about, you know, the differences between the Democrat Party today and the Democrat Party back then. I don't think there's much, to be honest with you. That's my opinion. But to go and tell my kids that the Ku Klux Klan was white Christian conservatives is ridiculous. And they try and use these narratives to conservative. What are you talking about? It was the Democrats. It was not the Republicans back then. That's just a flat out lie. White Christians. That's like saying they had hair and noses and eyes like white Christians were what people were in the country back then. And nationalists, that one pisses me off the most. When people talk about the nationalist socialist party, uh, you might know them more familiarly as the Nazi party. It was not the nationalism part that was dangerous. It was the socialism part. But they're always trying to make it that they were flag-waving and, and proud of their country and that kind of stuff, and that's what led to the atrocities. That was not it. The important part of the story is the socialized part. And all, the only thing I'm trying to say here is that it's the information that is being presented to us that affects the way we think about things. And that's the thing that drives me nuts. It's like... If CNN lied to you about something so obviously, uh, why would you listen to them again? If the AJC published an article about me that was so obviously false, why would you listen to them about anything again? And when you start looking at these things, you start to realize they know they're not telling the truth. And then it seems like we just move on. We never revisit this stuff. Like after the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet published these fake studies that had to be tracked why are we not doing an investigation into that to figure out how we prevent that from ever happening again? Now, I want you to listen to the Fox News host, Will Kane. He's interviewing, um, he's interviewing Jamie Metzl, who's an advisor to the WHO, the World Health Organization. And this clip is a couple minutes long, but I want you to listen to it because I want to talk about the relationship of the World Health Organization to the Chinese Communist Party and their role in lying to us and that these people want us to sign over our sovereignty to the Chinese Communist or to the WHO. Listen to this interview. The beginning that there's a very real possibility this pandemic stems from a, an accidental lab incident, and that's what the Chinese are responding against. So, Jamie, let me let me press in on where you say I'm not 
exactly accurate on my relationship or my characterization of the relationship between China and the WHO in the early phases of this pandemic. I hear you saying some things have changed at the WHO, the new body being right. empowered. Is my memory faulty in, in that at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw instances where, for example, WHO executives were on, and, and, and I, unfortunately, I don't have the clip in front of me right now, were on, I sure. believe, a Zoom call where they were pressed on some of the yeah. origins and things like this, and they w- neglected to answer it. And it appeared in the very beginning as though the WHO had China's back in not wanting to answer some of these questions. Yeah, so, so what you're referring to, which was really just despicable, it wasn't the head of the WHO, but there was a, a, somebody affiliated with the WHO who was asked about Taiwan and Taiwan's role in responding to uh, to the pandemic and just didn't say anything and then uh, cut off the transmission. And that's right. really just ab- abhorrent behavior. Taiwan has, has responded to COVID in a very exemplary way. And it's simply outrageous that Taiwan doesn't have a voice in the, the World Health Assembly. And it's also true that in the earliest days of the pandemic, uh, Dr. Tedros, who's become quite a hero, but in the earliest days, um, he was uh, repeating essentially uh, Chinese positions on the origins of the of the pandemic. So I totally agree there was a very slow start. Can I ask you um, to follow up? I, and I appreciate yeah. that clarification. I truly do. What changed yeah. then? And so what you've just characterized, and I, I hear you, right. not necessarily someone who had control of the WHO, and then they pretended that the call malfunctioned. I remember that moment uh, right. very well. Yeah. But you, you, you talk about Tedros as well. Um, it wouldn't have been unreasonable to look at those interactions and say, the WHO seemed to be under very heavy influence of China. Yeah. Um, and you're telling me that something has changed. Yeah, so uh, I was also a critic in the earliest days of the pandemic for the WHO's uh, response, even though I, I have had an affiliation with uh, the WHO in the past, and I'm a big believer in the WHO. And in the earliest days, I think what Tedros and the WHO were doing was trying to strike a balance uh, between criticizing China, but also recognizing that they needed and we needed uh, Chinese cooperation. And, and, and so I think they probably, in my view, tried too hard. Uh, and China was lying. It's now 100% clear that China was just lying to the world and to the, to the WHO. I think as that became okay, more so clear, listen, uh, the, 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 the important thing is, is here you, and so I think they probably, here you have, the Tedros, first of all, Tedros is, a, is an Ethiopian. He's a handpicked guy by the Chinese Communist Party to head the WHO. He's uh, Tedros is a beneficiary, as is Ethiopia, of the Chinese Belt and Roads Initiative. This is what they do. The Chinese go into these places like Ethiopia. They build roads and buildings, and they basically give loans to these people. They get people on the payroll, and they basically get these countries beholden to China. And then that's how they take them over is economically. So this guy Tedros is the handpicked guy to lead the WHO. And the guy who is our advisor to the WHO admits that they're lying to us. And yet somehow we're supposed to be willing to cede power of the, to the WHO over our uh, American sovereignty. And we're supposed to accept information from them about medicine and healthcare. I mean, it's utterly ridiculous. Folks, I, I didn't even get to a, 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 a small fraction of all the stuff I wanted to, to, to talk about. We're going to talk about it more in the coming weeks. But what I really want to start getting down to is how do we interpret the information that's provided to us? How do we understand science? 
And I please am imploring all of you to use your own judgment, use your own ability to process information and be skeptical of everybody, right? Nobody deserves carte blanche uh, authority just because of their education or their position. All right, you've been listening to The Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber on America's Web Radio. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. We'll see you next time. Everybody have a great week. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.